on the vinyl. It was uneventful. <laughs> Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hey, welcome to Coffee Is Me podcast. Well, we didn't talk for a while. I mean, sorry about that, but we're going to make it up to you for sure. Uh, and we're trying something different. So if you see here this echo, it's mostly because we are at Boot Lab and I have one mic and few guests here. And uh, I think that, you know, this format can be kind of cool. I have Marcus Young with me and Smaya, and now help me, Smaya. Ua Geneza. Did yeah. I say it right? Ua Geneza? Yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll get myself a medal. All right, so Marcus Young is uh, my buddy and my colleague at Boot Coffee. And, uh, you know, he's much more smarter than me, so I thought that maybe he can hop into this podcast and uh, be our guest. But Welcome, somehow Marcus. I still learn things from you almost every time we talk, Valerian. So you're too kind, and I think you're wrong. Aww. I think you're the smart one. <laughs> Let's, you, can, you can keep talking. Good, good. So also uh, joining us, Deborah here. In the background. So if you have anything to say, just you know, just tell us. If you have if you want to correct us on something. No? I'll be listening for typos. Okay, she was listening <laughs> for typos. And we have uh, we also changed the format because now we have a wine with us because we need to relax a little bit. There we go. So <laughs> this one actually is a pet net. And now French people will kill me because uh, Petnet is actually a method ancestral of making sparkling wine. So actually, it's an old way of making sparkling wine. And, you know, just to brag a little bit, I did it with my other buddy, Kim. But yeah, we did this Petnet. It's very nice. It's Viognier. And it's going to keep us happy through the interview. All right. Such a long intro. It's good. It's been a long time. Okay. But somebody is quiet here. Smile. So tell us about yourself, Maya. Where are you coming from, and what are you doing here? Okay, um, I am from Rwanda, and I live in Kigali. I was born and raised there, raised in such a great community that taught me the useful and values of lives and the treasure of generosity and giving back to it. Um, I came all the way from there uh, for the scholarship program that I received uh, last year from Specialty Coffee Association to be shaped as a skillful coffee leader. And that is a scholarship program that is about equity and diversity into coffee industry. And so I was honored and excited to be one of the lead scholars, five women who were selected in the first cohort. So part of it, we get to get like professional development that you can choose any education track that you want. And so I decided to, to choose education referring to or regarding roasting because I wanted to be the first female roaster in my country. And also I wanted to be able to embrace the work of the coffee farmers through the art and craft of roasting. And so that's why I decided to join Boot Coffee Campus because 
I know some of the people like Marcus Young and Deborah who actually started the social enterprise that I found myself in that has been actually, that's where I was introduced to coffee as a career, um, called Question Coffee that is also under control by an NGO company called Sustainable Growers with partnership with Bloomberg Philanthropy that is helping um, Rwandans to drink more coffee to enjoy the beauty that, we, that they saw, but generating, mainly generating income to the coffee farmers, women coffee farmers in Rwanda. And of course, I worked there as a quality control in a roster. So I really wanted to, to expand my skills into coffee and to also network with a lot of people all over, a lot, a lot of experts and to learn from them and to represent my community wherever I will be by hosting events and presenting to them the efforts that the farmers are putting into to deserve their prices and to be, for their lives to be improved as well. So I'm multitasking while I'm here. Wow. Did you memorize this? <laughs> no. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I didn't memorize this. <laughs> that was awesome. So, that was a long one, I know. No, that's, no, that's cool. Man. It just, you know, you, you were so, so organized with your information. I was like, whoa, I wish I was organized like that with my information. <laughs> so, you know, for both of you, I have, usually I start with a question about, you know, your first coffee. And the reason is because I believe, and also the listeners believe, that your first coffee usually determines your relation to the coffee. And I start with you, Smaya, because I read about you and actually on your blog that your first drink was espresso. Yeah. Is that correct? Correct. So tell us, how did you like that espresso? Your first espresso. Um, so when I finished high school, I was looking for a job that would allow me to save for college. And so I heard about this, this social enterprise that I worked for, Question Coffee, and th that it was actually starting. And so I joined various the training programs. And the first drink that they made me make was espresso. I didn't really, that was my first time to drink coffee, honestly. I grew up in a... Was the first coffee, the first espresso you drank, an espresso that you actually made as well? Yes. Okay. Whoa! <laughs> it was the first espresso I made and the first espresso I drank. So um, it was very great experience, but I, I thought that it wasn't good test. It was really bitter and undesired. I feel like I don't really want it, and they didn't allow me to take sugar, to add milk, anything. So I had to drink it as it is. So, but at the end of the day, it turned to be my favorite drink. Oh, espresso? Yeah. Oh, interesting. How about you, Marcus? What was your favorite, the first coffee drink? Gosh, I'm sure it was just a cup of coffee that came from a can at my grandparents' house or my parents' house and not memorable at all. Um, but I always had a family that was interested in taste and flavor. Coffee for them came much later, but there was always wine and good food, and we would talk about what we were eating. I know your family. I know your family. You know my family. <laughs> so, yeah, the coffee, the first coffee, totally forgettable. Wow. But, you know, I do remember a client that I had in coffee long before I personally worked in coffee. I had a tech company, mm -hmm. and he was a coffee roaster buying coffee from Guatemalan farmers. This was in, like, the late 90s, mid to late 90s. 
And I remember going to his home and we would taste coffees that he was roasting from different farms and of different types. And I remember just being impressed by how unique the flavors could be, even from one small area. So that might have been one of the several aha moments for me that coffee could be my future. Cool. Smile shocked me because I, I hoped that we will connect on an Aeropress level because you are a East African Aeropress champion, correct? Correct. And you know, <laughs> my Slovak company is actually a 2015 Aeropress world champion. Uh, so I was like, oh, we will talk so much about Aeropress. But then you say that, oh, my favorite drink is espresso. I'm like, oh, no. So how is your relation with, with Aeropress? Um, honestly, I didn't. I was just making, well, after I got a job at Question Coffee, I was not really making a lot of Aeropresses for sure. Because a lot of clients were looking for espresso, Americanos, latte, and cappuccinos. And the reason why I get to love or I go to love um, espresso is that the challenge that I received from my boss, my leaders. So he would come to me. And especially that in into um, specialty coffee world, you always have to dial in espressos before you open up the, the door for the clients. You really need to know what you're serving. And so I couldn't serve something that I didn't drink. And again, my bosses who my boss, Adam, who would come all the time, smile me the very nice espresso. I always had to drink maybe four and serve the fifth one. So that challenge Drink or taste. Uh, maybe both. Okay. Let's <laughs> <laughs> start up your day. I know, <laughs> maybe espresso. both, honestly, because um sometimes I could drink, you know, there's there's a time you make something and it tastes really good. But you, the time you're testing, you kind of like it. You keep on drinking and you finally realize that it's about to finish. So you can't serve that half. Um, and so I decided to make another and drink that much. Um, until, and that was in 2016, until last year. That's when I started developing love for Aeropress. I was just making it for clients. And I was, I remember trying to make a signature drink with orange that I was inspired by this woman. I don't remember the name, but I used to watch a lot of her videos on, on YouTube. I know who you mean. She was on a, a host of the podcast, guest on a podcast. It's... Uh, I don't remember the name. So I used to watch a lot of videos of her. Gail. Maybe. From Seattle Coffee Gear. Probably, yeah. Um, I used to watch those videos of her making um, aeropress with an orange an orange uh, slice to be mm -hmm. like a, a filter. So I was so inspired and found that Aeropress was just something unique on its own. And it, and the fact that it also makes a kind of a strong, because I finally loved strong coffees, and I thought that Aeropress could help me to bring out the best sweetness and very nice cup of coffee that is super bold and strong. And so last year in, in June, I heard about Aeropress Championship that goes on. And I started making a lot of um, Aeropresses, trying with all the coffees that we serve at our cafe. And somewhere in September, that's when I heard about the championship in Kenya. And so myself and some of other colleagues of mine back at work, we were like, okay, let's go there. But they thought that I really love latte art because the competition was about latte art and Aeropress. It was like, okay, so my, my friend Dan, who is no longer with us at work. Oh, really? He left? 
yeah he left <laughs> he was like okay smile you're gonna have to compete at the latte art and then i'll take care of it and i was like oh i don't think so i'm gonna have to do them both or go to Aeropress. A new challenge for me because I already won um, the other championship of latte art on a national level. And so I decided to commit myself to Aeropress. And every single time I would try a lot of different recipes to bring out the best out of it. And so the day of competition arrived, we took a long bus, 10 hours or more to Kenya, myself, Dan, and another colleague. We went to Kenya and then we thought that we were going to use our coffee. But when we got there, they're like, no, you will use our coffee and all competitors are going to use the same coffee. So it's a funny story how I went, how I won that competition. Um, We arrived in Nairobi a night before the competition starts. And then I was. So like this guy, Stephanie, who hosted that 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 uh, competition he brought a grinder and the coffee for us uh, where we were staying because we got there when the, the the trainings were finished and so i was like okay nobody's trying nobody's trying new coffees everybody was hanging out and sleeping it was like i gotta do something with this coffee because i don't really know and stephanie was like okay you know what guys we're gonna be looking at this kind of characters you're gonna be looking at these flavors so if you 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 hit these flavors you're gonna be able to win the competition like okay fine so they left around 9 p.m i was playing around the coffee the grind sizes and so i finally found a grind size that was good for me that i thought it would work for me and so i boiled water from the kettle and I made the coffee, the first cup, the second cup, couldn't really taste what they said. And I was going to, to my colleague's bedroom be like, hey guys, try this coffee. They're like, oh, smile, we're done. Don't bring us coffee this night. And so I was like, okay, fine. And the last cup, I failed. Like, I couldn't really replug the kettle to reheat the water. But when I touched the, water, the, the kettle, I found that it was still a little bit hot. Like, fine, I'm just going to use this water to make my coffee. And I made it, and it was finally, like, the greatest cup I've ever had in life. So low temperature. Low temperature was Mm. the key for me to win, and I didn't know that. And the challenging part was that I didn't know how low or how high it was because I didn't have the thermometer. It was just, like, the feeling, the sensory kind of thing. Ooh, that's 100% sensory. Absolutely. And so I kept on the day after I decided to use that recipe with low temperature water and the competition came and I was telling every competitor that, hey guys, I'm using this. I didn't really take it as a big thing, but I finally won. But before that, I was going back and forth to latte art competition and to Aeropress and I go to the second final um, of the latte art, and I was like, you know, I think I, des- I have to decide which one I really want to take. And so I dropped latte art, and I continued with uh, Aeropress, and I finally won. Cool. So, you know, I, I have a big respect for everybody who competes, because as a, you know, as a company owner, I was always like, you know, my person should compete, everybody should just compete. 
Yeah. But it's hard. So, you know, my, my, my buddies just told me, you try it for yourselves. And I did. I went to the Aeropress Championship in uh, San Francisco organized by creators. And uh, two years ago, I think it was two years ago. But I realized I like wine more than uh, <laughs> Aeropress. And, and yeah, anyhow, so the story was that what I did that trick was I always extracted and then always cupped as I added water to it. Me too. Oh, really? Me too, yeah. Okay. Fist bump. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Anyhow, do you have any funny Aeropress stories, Marcus, you want to share? Oof. Or shall we move to 30,000 women farmers? I mean, it's hard to beat 30,000 women farmers. My Aeropress often involves nightmares for me because it involves like hosting people at my house in Rwanda. And the only brewer I had was an Aeropress. Oh. So I remember Devora and I would sometimes make coffee when she came to Rwanda. And it would be six or eight Aeropresses in the morning with a bunch of vultures hungry for coffee. Ugh. I can't guarantee that the coffee was delicious, but it was probably pretty good. Not as good as yours, Samaya. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. All right. So other thing which I was shocked is um, I read your blog, you know, and you mentioned the 30,000 female farmers. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of like a guy who, you know, loves wine and I follow also the wine scene. And... Similarly, like in a coffee scene, we have also in both scenes, like not enough female farmers. And, you know, for me, it was always like, oh, yeah, because it's a tough job. So probably it's chosen by males. But in 2018, I had one favorite wine, which blew me away. And, you know, it's called Quite. It comes from Spain. And I didn't know too much about it unless I, until I researched that it's a female badass farmer. And her grapes are like, grape wines are like 80 to 100 years old. And her name is uh, Veronica Ortega, and she, she, she's just amazing. So, and I see that, you know, for whatever reason, I sort of prefer wines made by female um, producers. And not, it's not uh, because I'm looking for them. It's like, okay, this wine I like. It's like, oh, it's a female. Cool. And it's France, it's Spain, you name it. So how is it in, in the coffee world? Are female farmers making different coffee than male farmers? Is there any, any kind of like thing you can say that, oh yeah, female coffee is like this, male coffee would be like that in Rwanda? Yeah, um, from that perspective, I would say that um, when we look back at how coffee was being produced in the country, if you hear stories from a lot of farmers over there, they will tell you that the women were the ones to do all the activities um, from the farm level, but when it comes to carrying heavy stuff, or especially when it comes to selling the cherries, the products out of the, those trees, the men could take a step. So if the woman was the one to do all everything, if she has, if she gets to be trained on what is actually what can improve the quality of a product. That is first of all, because she was doing everything, right? And we know, we know in life that women tend to pay a lot of attention to things, right? Are they? They do. Okay. They do. And women do not think about themselves only. They think about the whole family. And the man is part of the family. And everything that they think about is how can I do this that will benefit the whole family? So investing in a woman, you invest in the whole community. So you mean the nurture of the they farm nurture, is much absolutely. more? Absolutely. They yeah, nurture okay. from seed to the cat. Just because they were under minority back in a lot of years. So they need to be at the level where the men 
at the level of confidence where the men are. Do they have that now? It's getting there. It's okay. getting there because a lot of women are very, like, I, I would give an example of myself. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. I will give an example of myself because, um, like, I'm from a very big family of 15 children, 10 girls. And I'm actually, I would say I'm the only girl who are, who is confident enough to be like, I can do this to myself. I can provide, I can live the life I want so long as I'm committed to something positive. I can work hard and help myself out. I don't have to be dependent just because the community says that I have to, you know? So it's the, the first thing, however much people are, do not have resources, but if you can create that spirit of confidence and that mo- internal motivation spirit, that's when a person really stands up and gets to work for themselves. But if they don't have resources and they don't have that confidence, then they can never do anything. Not only looking at the women, but looking in general. I, I like what you said about the recognition, right? Like yeah. The women are. Doing the work. They have yeah. done the work for generations, probably. And, and you see that. Anytime I've gone to a coffee farm anywhere in the world, who's mostly in the field? Who's mostly around the drying beds? Well, it's usually women doing that work. Yeah. And so that, you think just that recognition, the recognition leads to confidence? Absolutely. The recognition, the appreciation that you get from people or the the encouragement that you get from people and i would also give an example of my country where i'm from um ever since the government started to invest in women and empower them to stand up for themselves that's when the country changed it wasn't there before but if we if you think that if by the time they think that they can and they there is a contribution that they can play part they can be part of to you know to develop the country and to develop themselves that's when you see like the very great outcome so i would i would definitely give an example of my country having them into positions where they make decisions empower them to stand up for themselves to feel confident to feel capable enough to do anything that a man can do that's how you see um, development I, you know, in a coffee world, when the whole specialty scene started, one yeah. of the kind of like a punch for the whole industry move were the first, I would call them, I don't know, superstar farmers, right? And I can think of one female only from El Salvador, Ida mm-hmm. Butler. And then we have, you know, all the Graciano Cruises and uh, all these Mark big names. from Guatemala. Right. And, yeah. So are there any superstars you want to mention? Or oh. upcoming superstars in Rwanda, female farmers, we should pay attention to. Um, these people are not me. I'm not going to talk about myself a lot. But we, I just can't forget that, or we cannot forget that these people are so faithless, right? Are so hurtless. To see them or to say that they're superstars, they're superstars in our communities. Upcoming superstars. I'm going to name two superstars, and it's Asteri. Agnes and, Agnes <laughs> and Asteri. They're both superstars in my there world. There are of many. There's Asteri. And of course, there's more. <laughs> there's more and more. There's more and more. There's a lot of women who are leading their cooperatives. They're so, I mean, they're 
they're worthy looking at and be like, oh, these are really... And they're Who empowered. are they? I mean, let's mention Asking. them on this podcast would be great for them, kind of like for the confidence. Oh, and, and not just farmers, right? There's what... Um, Ms. Muhira from Booth Coffee, who started Booth Coffee. Ms. Muhira. Sam Muhira's mother. Beatrice oh, yes, is her name. yes, right, right. There's Leticia, Leticia who is a copper and a quality a control. As, yeah. There is Rashosko. There is Angelique. Angelique. There is Sandrine. There is See? Micheline. There is Christine Chondo. 100%. So okay. we had to get these names out here. Oh, okay. They inspire me every day to continue oh, doing the work I'm doing great, here. Thanks. And it doesn't mean that we're not recognizing the others who we didn't name because we know they're out there. They're out there. Like, these are the people that come first to mind. Okay, I'll tell you my first. So apart from those, I will list a few more. There's Seraphine, there is Vestine, there is my one and only Helen who is always, who is always motivated and singing and smiling all the time however life can be hard there is um so i mentioned seraphine helen mary vestine um madeleine all those people there are so many can, can we just use this I, we should give props where props are due and mention their companies too so i'll start because i pushed you to say agnes from twangere umusaruro cooperative yeah, Pastori from Niaminga. <laughs> there's Donata from Gashonga Coffee. There is, but most most of the people I mentioned they're from TUK. So, <laughs> but there's a lot of women in uh, Gisuma Coffee. They're my favorite people too. There's one called uh, Mary over there who really inspired me. The first time I joined. Uh, specialty coffee and the first time i went to out there to the forum mary um or we call them maria oh that's how we maria that's how we pronounce it uh from gisuma some amazing superstar from choco teresa she's doing an amazing job there is um a lot of women out there from Kokaji, all these 100%. people. 100%. There are so many. I can't mention. Like, we have... You said T-U-K. T-U-K. Tkongere Musarokawa. There you go. She says it better than I do in Kenya Rwanda. Even in Kenya Rwanda, you don't like to say it, so you just say T-U-K or yeah. Tuk. We say Tuk. <laughs> tuk, okay. Because it's a long name, but it means a lot. It means um, let's yield much in coffee. And, and one of my favorite things, just talking about these cooperative names, I keep talking about Niaminga and Tuk yeah. because I was there kind of when they became strong. Superstars. <laughs> and the spirit of both of these cooperatives is so encapsulated by their names. Absolutely. With Tuk. What does that mean? Tuanyere Msaro means let's yield much into coffee. It's very pragmatic. It's like we're going to make money. We're going to yield all of the results that come from our oh, hard yes. work. So it's very different than Dukundekawa, which means love for coffee or something like that? Dukundekawa means let's love coffee. Yeah, there yes. you go. And what does yeah. Nyaminga mean? Nyaminga means beautiful women. Ooh. Like strong and beautiful strong inside and, and out. Confident, and strong, beautiful awesome. women. Right? So it's so nice when you get behind these names. Yeah, it's not just a name. It's, it means a lot. And there's amazing people doing a great job that they even want 
the cup of excellence last year called Mayoji. It's a but Mayoji is the name of the place where they're they're located. So it's not. It has a story behind it. A very long story behind. Okay, so most of the people listening to this podcast are future or existing roasters or people who start businesses and always want some kind of tips, you know, how to master their skills or go ahead of the competition. So tell us, is there anything brewing in Rwanda that we should know about? Let's oh, say that yes. in three, four years, we should like really like pay attention because it's happening and that will be the best coffee in the world or something like that. We are doing all we can to make sure the Rwandan coffee stands out there really nicely. Um, and these people that I mentioned, these women coffee farmers or farmers in general, are putting a lot of efforts to eradicate a lot of problems that we have. Like we have potato defects over there, which is really one of the biggest problems that we have and that is causing um, our coffee to lose market on a daily basis. And it's not something that we only share, but it's something that we share with a lot of uh, countries which are around us. So it's something that we should really stand up and make sure that we collaborate with the world and be able to eradicate and illuminate that so that the lives of the people who are growing coffee can improve and can stay well. Um, there's a lot of efforts. There's a lot of... Um, I would love to see a lot of roasteries opening up in my country. So whoever wants to invest in that should come and also, and that is not going to be only, he's not going to be only benefiting, but he's going to be creating retail market for the producers in Rwanda. He's going to be able to share the local product with the local people and the foreigner people who are coming into the country. I would What's love going to happen with us if you drink all our coffee? But, you know, if we drink a lot, we will be able to understand everything behind it. And that's where the love and passion comes from. I totally agree. I was joking because, you know, for me, you know, if you look at, again, wine, mm -hmm. France, right? I mean, everybody drinks wine. Like, I remember I, I was there in a Carrefour, which is something like, uh, I don't know, Costco here, or, I don't know, Walmart, people shopping. And, you know, in my country, in Slovakia, people buy, let's say, 20 beers for the weekend. And these guys were holding like 20, 30 wines for the weekend. So for was like, and you know, if they appreciate their own product, also the industry will rise. And for me, it was always strange that, you know, well, it wasn't strange because obviously the whole colonial history and stuff, but, you know, every country, I think, which start to appreciate their own coffee, yeah. they change their industry rapidly. Absolutely. So that's yeah. really important to you and, guys feel about what also, you do. They, you know, farmers don't know everything that, about coffee, right? They just think that it's all about growing and sending mm -hmm. to the country because that's how the, it was introduced to them. So there's no way they'll be able to eradicate all those def defects that they get to have into their coffee if they don't drink, if they don't have facilities to quality control their own product before being sent to you guys, to America, to Europe, to Australia. So they need to have the spaces to quality control their product. They need to understand all the science goes behind their product. And, we, and like, like every, how every member of supply chain is embracing their work, you know. And of course, that will also promote or create opportunities to people out there, especially youth who are really jobless and the high number of them are jobless. So making or introducing or creating establishing 
Those are many, so many verbs that I use there. By establishing a roastery, a cafe, you're going to be able to, to create opportunities for the youth. You're going to be able to help the farmers grow, improve their lives. And you're going to be able to, at the end of the day, you will sit back and be like, oh, I really made a lot of impact into a lot of life. Cool. And you'll be happy. Cool. Marcus, any secrets we should expect from Rwanda? Mm. Don't tell me geishas. <laughs> no, geishas, so, I'm sorry, geishas. I mean, Rwanda is amazing. And I spent time there, of course. And there's a lot of hunger for innovation, but there haven't been a lot of resources. It's interesting. You mentioned coffee varieties right from the get-go. Samaya, what's most of the coffee that's grown there? A red bourbon. Mm. Yeah, it's all red bourbon. It's all but of course, there's exceptions. There's always exceptions. Yeah. Um, so I think just by exploring other varieties, the terroir is there, the elevation. There isn't a lot of coffee grown kind of adjacent to the more natural areas in the country. I think part of the power of Tuk is it's near Akagera National Park, yeah. not necessarily high elevation, but adjacent to untouched land. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, with kind of this new generation, with somebody like Samaya, who's brewing the coffee every day, talking to customers, tasting other coffees around the world regularly, you're sort of in a position as your career grows to think about what can happen with processing. Absolutely. To understand right there, right in the backyard, within a two-hour drive of these farms, yeah. what happens if we change a drying methodology? How does that coffee react differently in the roaster? How does it taste different? How does it hold up nine months after the harvest different? Mm -hmm. So there's nothing specific, I think, that I can point to in Rwanda, but these coffees are so unique because they have the acidity and the fruit and these kind of big characters that we expect from so many coffees from East Africa. But what's unique is they also have this heavy body syrup dried fruits, dark, deep sugars. And that's pretty special. Yeah, it is. It's a profile it's so unique. unlike anywhere else. Yeah. And that's where I think the biggest opportunity is, is to really harness those profiles and understand Absolutely. even better how to improve upon them. And also, like, the, uh, the barista kind of nation is really growing super fast. As we recently got a barista training area back at my uh, at the cafe that I work for, with uh, we got a sponsor, Mastercard Foundation. Big thanks to them and Specialty Coffee Association. But again, that is also a challenge because if we are training two hundred baristas, we don't have anywhere for them to apply what they learn. It's also still a big challenge. So, but it's promising. It's all about how we can always, we can all come together to make things happen. I believe in collaboration and support, and that's the reason why I am here, and that's the reason why I like these kind of platforms that allows me to be voice of my country, of my people. So thank you so much for having sharing my opinion. Oh, thank you for sharing your time with us. Uh, I'm not let you go yet. No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, but I okay. So 
if let's say uh, some roster cycle story and they go like oh yeah you know i think that you know female farmers are very important or any rwandan farmer is very important uh, i want to help how they can help let's say there are roasters in europe or in the united states there's oh. a big smile here to note. <laughs> <laughs> yes i love that you know i love when i'm being asked what can be done back into my country to make things better uh for sure as i said before i would I would first of all tackle down uh, why we actually need to help them. Uh, the reason why we need to help these people is because, um, first of all, for the coffee to have value and for buyers to pay great prices for it, is it has to have quality, right? And there's nowhere that that quality can be achieved if there exist few washing stations for 400,000 farms. Whole nation. So they need washing stations to add value on their to understand the processes as Marcus was saying. We need to have to provide them cupping labs where they get to understand actually what is potato difference that is affecting us and that is making our coffee going lower and lower on a daily basis. They need a lot of and again, looking at how they get to process or how they get their cherries from the farm up to the washing station. They do, I've seen a lot of things that have been really made, making me um, stand up and not sleeping a lot every single day because I want people to collaborate and support them throughout their work. If you see a pregnant woman carrying a lot of kilos and kilos of coffee cherries on her head, works like a couple hours that is so many kilometers to get down to the washing station it's it's hard isn't it can you picture that i love the the way that you think about this from the producer's perspective and what they need and i think part of the power of sustainable growers has been always making sure the producers are the ones that are guiding this conversation and guiding the decisions um, from the roaster perspective, because I've been involved kind of on that end much more as a coffee buyer and working with roasters, and some of the best examples that I've seen are, there's a company in a small town in Oregon, Sisters, Oregon, called Sisters Coffee. Yeah. And, you know, when we were, when I was first in Rwanda and the project was first getting started, Jessie, she's the buyer and the daughter of the founder. She came to Rwanda and we went and visited a number of different producers. And she, in a lot of ways, I think, fell in love with the country. Yeah. We'll have to have her on this podcast and ask her to validate that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, some years, you know, a, a few years down the line, we learned that there was a very real need from talking to the farmers that, you know, at one cooperative, every Monday during harvest was water day. That means that they had to walk, and most of these women are 50 years old or older. Every Monday during harvest was spent walking three quarters of a kilometer, filling up a 20-liter bucket of water, walking it back to a cistern, and filling that cistern trip after trip after trip. Because there was no water at the washing station to run the pulper. So you know, maybe bad on me for buying a pulper and bad on the government for suggesting land that didn't have close water. But they were managing. That, that speaks to the determination of these producers. So Jesse heard about this, knew that there was a need, 
here's a roaster. She was buying some of their coffee. You know, not a lot by the scale of commercial roasters, not five containers, but a lot for a company their size. She was making a significant difference. And she heard that there was this need. So she engaged her local community. She said, hey, you know what? I want to collect donations from my customers in my cafes. I want to collect a small premium on the bags of coffee that we're selling. She's an athlete, so she was going to run the Kigali Marathon. So she used that as kind of a fundraising mechanism as well. So it was a combination of, I think, buying coffee, but also engaging her community with something that was very real, which was the need for these women to install a fairly simple system of moving water with a simple pump. I don't remember what exactly was raised, but it was kind of managed by sustainable growers, by sustainable harvest coffee importers. She was able to collect this money. She went to Kigali and ran the marathon with her buyer, Christian. Um, and ultimately, they got like a pump system and a water system installed to move water from the spring to the washing station during the harvest time. It's such like a perfect example of Absolutely. making that happen. Yeah. Cool. That's... And I think you know, premium sharing rewards we could talk about. Can I tell the story about Absolutely. the woman who, liked, who was so happy with the sex she was having? Is that okay, Valerian? <laughs> she has what? Good sex. Sex. Okay. I was like, <laughs> sect or sex? So, so both are great, but right. go for it. So, you know, so this premium sharing model that Samaya is like blushing here, it's amazing. Um, you know, this was a program where farmers could kind of earn points and credit. Um, for delivering ripe cherries, for sending their children to school, for participating in community health care, for saving in the community savings bank. As they earned these credits and as roasters purchased their coffee, there was this connection. They had credits to spend. There were proceeds to buy rewards. So we talked to the producers. This was a woman who um, was working in Rwanda at the time named Ashley, who kind of piloted this, along with well, Renee, who was there at the time, and Joe, and all of these great Rwandese who are working in the field. Um, and we talked to them, and they said, yeah, you know, things that we need, we want cell phones. We want airtime. We want mattresses. We want goats. We want cows. We also had connections as a company to people making solar lights and clean cook stoves and those kind of traditional, in quotes, NGO products. But we captured this photo after products were delivered of a woman holding a solar light. It's a beautiful light. It looks like a sunshine with this huge smile on her face. This woman who's maybe 50, 55 years old. Samaya is so embarrassed. She can't believe I'm sending this into a microphone. No, it's fine. <laughs> and... You know, later on, Christine, who we've mentioned, Christine, who runs the Sustainable Growers NGO out of Rwanda, she finally kind of got to the bottom of this. She was like, you're smiling so big in this photo. Why are you so happy? And, you know, the answer was, it's amazing because, you know, it's dark in Rwanda. It's in the tropics. When the sun goes down, it goes down fast mm -hmm. and it's dark at six o'clock. And... Her grin was because she was so happy because her husband loved the solar light because it meant he could see his wife at night. So suddenly there was a little spice in her life. Nice. Which is awesome. Like you never know what the consequences of these things are going to be. And 
I think it's cool. I mean, of course, like healthcare and all these other things are maybe even more important, but I just think it's such a beautiful, like human story, something that's so essential to humanity. Yeah, it's so simple too, right? Yep. Just like just a light. It's just, very nice. Just the light into people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's nice with the light into people's lives. You you know, when you mentioned sex, I was afraid that's very it's cold. <laughs> but it's actually it's it's you should have maybe next time say making love. <laughs> so I don't get to have to do peachy thirteen on this. <laughs> well yeah, but Valerian, you know, I I like to make you a little nervous. I made Samaya double nervous, so I kind of win in this from a personal standpoint. <laughs> we have fun. That's great. I mean, yeah, there are companies that have been really supportive. Yeah, apart from just buying coffee, and Equator is also one of them. What is the thing you would not want to take with you to Rwanda? Or what do you think that you know Americans don't do that right or that well? I would say that uh, first of all. Um, I would say that they don't have whoever is in charge into letting people in or out should not only consider that they want to stay because we love our country and we really want to always fetch. We really want to always collaborate, as I said, and collaborating is to come here, learn of what you're doing, taking back home, as I also share with you, and you can you kind of learn from me too, and you impl- you implement into your country. So they should just easily facilitate the in and out of people, and they shouldn't think that every African that comes to a country want to stay here. No. Did they have all time to come in, or why do you say that? Myself, I didn't. It was so easier. The first time I I applied for a visa, I finally got it. It's probably because I carried. A lot of documents with a lot of supporting letters from my bosses and from big people into the coffee industry, right? But um, like my friend, my colleague um, applied for a visa and he was here before and he wanted to come to a CAA coffee um, event, global event, and they couldn't let him in for no reason, right? He was paying for himself. He would, he was... I mean, equipped with everything, and he just wanted to be part of that global coffee event, but they couldn't let him in. So it's not that everybody who comes to a country wants to stay. No. You know, I find this weird because uh, that was my experience. In uh, I remember when I met my lovely wife. Uh, we used, worked as a diplomat in Kosovo and Bosnia Herzegovina, and uh, at the time we were dating, and she invited me to the United States to visit her family. And I remember how hard time I had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to prove my financial status. I had to prove, oh, like, yes. show my bank account. I actually had some real estate. I had to prove that I own that real estate. And then I had to go for an interview where they asked me ridiculous questions. I remember that, you know, I was asked if I sleep with my uh, girlfriend. What? It, yeah, because I asked them if, I said to the interviewer that this is my girlfriend. I said, what kind of girlfriend? And he showed this. And I was like, Whoa, I was, I was really shocked and I was very disappointed because, you know, in 1989, yeah. when we changed from communistic regime to democracy, I was a big activist and I was actually trained by a lot of American, like, you know, politicians, actually Republicans, Republican yeah. uh, Institute. And uh, for me, it was always like a land of liberty. So that experience was really bitter. Yeah. And I never wanted to come to the United States after that. I was like, no, you know, I come for a visit with your family and that's it. Yeah. 
then I had like things, you know, added up, and I, I know I know exactly the reaction of many people. Are like, oh, you don't have to come to the United States. You know, family things happen, so we actually did in 2009 came. My experience was opposite. In 2009, when I applied again for at that time green card, it was stellar. It was amazing. It was very very sweet. So it really depends what kind of person I guess you meet at the embassy. Yeah. But that's you know. That one bitter taste in 2001 was the thing which kind of like determined my, my thoughts about the United States for a long time. And maybe it was Absolutely. one crazy person. I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I never experienced such a thing, but I kind of put myself into his shoes and how he feels when he gets denied. On t- that is a big opportunity. Nobody affords to be in that global event. So imagine you have all it takes to be there. But you get denied to and that is really hard. Yeah, it's heartbreaking and it's kind of offensive, I would say. It's so offensive. Yeah. So that wouldn't be there. I would encourage whoever is in that position to do nothing. I know you can really suspect people for the sake of protecting your people or your community, but it doesn't have to be every he has been here. So that was really surprising part mm-hmm. of it. So getting denied. And he didn't overstay or anything. Oh no, he went back home. We worked together. Right. So it's so something something we share. Uh, So you know, if you ever think of foreigners, just think of them. Not everybody wants to stay here. They love to visit, but not everybody wants to stay here. Absolutely, we do love our. Yeah, we do. I still love my country. Yeah. If uh, we just want to share, we just want to exchange knowledge. We just want to. And I hope that my country will never offend Americans that way. Oh, Rwanda is an amazing country. It welcomes everybody. And you can ask everybody that. Can I come? Absolutely. (laughs) I would love to have you and I would take you everywhere, give you full coffee experience. So, from these political conversations, I got something extra. A visit to Rwanda. Yes, (laughs) visit Rwanda. That is actually in the hashtag. You know what's my favorite thing in Rwanda? No, it's not a coffee, actually. It is what? Marcus. What? Akabanga. Oh, Akabanga. yes, Akabanga. I is told one. you. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Next time I come, I should bring Oh, I still have some. And actually, you can buy it now on Amazon. By the way, who doesn't know what Akabanga is? It's a hot sauce. It's a kind of a hot oil. It's stunning. Yeah, you actually really taste the, 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 not only the heat, but also the taste of the pepper, which I always appreciate in hot sauces. So. Yeah, the local made. Uh, made by one and only Nirangarama, the pioneer. Oh, I love that stuff. All right, the wine is gone. Um, again, today we're drinking uh, Viognier Petnet. How did you like it, Marcus? It's delicious. We were talking about how this wine is changing and evolving. There was this coconut aromatic today that was just new in this wine and a beautiful surprise. Yeah, it's uh, so this is our new passion, natural wines. Uh, so we will always have one natural wine on this podcast. And we can even talk more about it if you guys want it. You just let us know. And uh, when we run out of wine, we're not going to make any more podcasts. So we better keep making wine, Valerian. Or they should send us wine. Either I don't one. know. Either one. <laughs> All right. So that's a wrap. Smaya, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us. Oh my God, I'm so honored and excited. And Marcus, uh, well, we're going to have a lot of other episodes about hardcore roasting and all kind of fun stuff people ask questions about. 
And if you have any other questions about roasting, coffee business, cupping, whatever. Rwanda, because Rwanda, we have Sumaya in absolutely. our community now. We can always yeah. funnel questions to her and get some. Or Brazil, so I have to you know, pay my field. <laughs> Just shoot them and uh, we try to make sure that you're us. you will get a cool answer about your question. All right, that's a wrap. Bye. Thank you. Bye. We love you. Bye-bye.